to Ezra chapter 6. Ezra chapter 6. This is an exciting time in the book of Ezra. I'll tell you, we stopped two weeks ago having read chapter 4 and 5. And we learned something about the nation of Israel as God had allowed them to go back into now Jerusalem. And because of discouragement, because of fear, because of doubt, God called them there to build. But because of all of those things, insecurities, doubt, feared, maybe the uh, wanting to run away from hard work, right? They did not build the house of the Lord. They left it there halfway. And I think it's important that we say that before we go to the next chapters is because even through Haggai and through here Zechariah the prophets, what do they say? You who think that say it's not the timing to build the house of God. When God has called you to build right now, why is it okay that you can build your house, that you can get your schedule together? Why is it okay for you to build those things, but it's not the time to build God's house? You see, and their priorities were not in order. So now God comes and speaks again, and He tells them, what are you guys doing? You guys think right now is the time to rest? Right now is the time to pull back? Right now is not the time to pull back. Right now is not to take time off. Right now is the time to build. And why is it okay for you to build at home, but not want to build at church? And I think that we have to ask ourselves, are we putting our hand to work? Are we putting our hands to work? And the Lord starts to bless their obedience now. And they go back to building the house of God, and they get challenged again. Anytime you want to do something great for God, you will be challenged. You'll face discouragement, opposition, and you will have every reason on why not to do what God has called you to do. In fact, you will even have some spiritual reasons on why you shouldn't do these things. <laughs> you see, they said it's the Lord's timing that we should not do it. It's not in God's timing. And I think that sometimes we wait too much when God's already called us to move into action. He's already placed the opportunity. And when preparation meets opportunity, are you going to execute? Will you do something? I love that when preparation meets opportunity. When we're here, we're preparing ourselves every Friday to pray. Here on Wednesdays, reading God's Word on Sundays. This is all preparation. Every single week is preparation. Every single time you open up your Bible in the morning, that's preparation for when an opportunity comes up, you can walk right in it and see God to be glorified. And now you see that in chapter 5, they get a letter that was sent over to the king Darius in the Persian Empire saying these people should not be building. And they start to condemn them. And that's the old letter, the letter of the law, where you see condemnation take place, right? The old letter of the law, we talks about condemnation, gives you every reason on why you should not do what God called you to do. You're, not, you're inadequate. You don't fit the right description. But the new letter, the New Testament, right, by God's grace tells you, yes, you're called to do this. Yes, you should in the name of Jesus move forward. Yes, because of the Spirit and the power of God that lives in you, you should not wait, but you should step forward into that calling that God has for you. And I want you guys to know that in chapter 6, we're going to get a new letter, and that's the letter of grace. And it's so important to talk about grace, because grace tells you that you're forgiven. Grace tells you you're free. Grace encourages you to do what God has called you to do. And now it says here in Ezra chapter 6, verse 1, we see here, and I've titled this message, if you like taking notes, The Blessing in Obedience. 
The blessing and obedience, they're, they're heeding the voice of God. They're obeying the voice of God. And now we're going to get introduced in chapter 6 and 7 to Ezra now. He's going to come into in the story now. He's going to make an appearance on the scene. And he's going to teach us to fall in love with God's word. And hearing his voice and obeying his voice. It says here, <clears throat> Then King Darius issued a decree. A search was made in the archives. Why was a search being made? Because here we see that now they're being challenged. Now the Israelites or Jerusalem, the Hebrew people, they are being challenged now on why they shouldn't build. And the, they said, now go and test, go and check out in the archives if, not, if we did not get permission to be able to build because we did get permission. And this is, tells us that the truth now is being tested. Can you go back and look at the archives and see if we did not get permission? Because we did. So King Darius sends now to be able to look through the archives so that they can see if this is so, so they can continue their building. And it says here, they look through the archives where the treasures were stored in Babylon. And at Archimatha, in the palace that is in the province here, it says, of Media. A scroll was found in it, a record was written thus. Now the truth is being tested. Should now the Jewish people build? In the first year of King Cyrus, he's the one that issued this permission. King Cyrus, here it says, issued a decree concerning the house of God of Jerusalem. Let the house be rebuilt. What house? The house of God. Let the house be built. Why? Because they're in a building season. And the place where they offered sacrifice it. Let the foundation of it be firmly laid. Its height, 60 cubits. Its width, 60 cubits. With three rows of heavy stone. With one row of new timber. Let the expenses be paid from the king's treasury. What does it say here? Clearly, in this document, it says that they have the permission to move forward. They have the permission to spend the money they have the permission to rebuild. Up until this point, they're prospering because they're heeding the voice of God. But here they have under this new letter that is found the permission to move forward. And it's amazing here. And it teaches us a, a very important lesson that when God guides a certain venture of faith, God is going to provide for it as well. Isn't this incredible to know that the King Cyrus not only issued, go rebuild, but he said everything that you need, all the expenses that you need are going to come from the king's treasuries. That means that an uh, unbeliever was funding the work of God. That means that the money of the unbeliever or the person that was not saved was funding now the building of, uh, of the house of, in Jerusalem. And it says here now in verse 5 as we go forward. It says, also let the gold, the silver, the articles here. We see that this is taking place. Of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took from the temple, everything that was now stolen from, that the enemy took hostage from the temple, let it be returned. Which is in, uh, Nebuchadnezzar took from the temple, which is in Jerusalem, and be brought back to Babylon and be restored. What two words did we keep seeing? Rebuilding and restoring. Rebuilding and restoring, because re the rebuilding and the restoring are going to lead to the revival. We see rebuilding, number one. We see restoring, number two. And, and in chapter seven, we're going to get introduced to revival. 
Rebuilding, restoring, revival. Let it be restored and taken back to the temple, which is in Jerusalem, each to its place, and deposit them in the house of God. That's amazing. Deposit them in the house of God. Go take everything that the enemy took back and go and take it and deposit it into the house of God. All the money, all the stones, all the articles, all the works that were taken from the house of God, take them back to the house of God. And these are specific instructions now for forward motion. How does it look in your life today? Does it look at a standstill? Are we scared to move forward? Because here now, King Darius found out through King Cyrus in the archives that it was time for forward motion. You see, the results of the objections from these people actually resulted in the, the work moving forward in ways that they didn't even expect. Have you ever noticed that sometimes what, what the enemy intended to do evil, God changed so that it would work out for good? Oh, saying what you intended for evil, not today. Because what he intended for evil, God turned it around so that it would be for good. This is a perfect example of God working all th things together for good for his people, which says it in Romans 8, 28. And all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. What does that mean? That means that even in a situation where they're being harassed, even a situation where they said they're being challenged on why they're building, and now King Darius goes and finds out if there's a legal permit for them to be able to build as they were building. And they found that legal permit. Now the work is being now funded through King Cyrus. Because all things work together for good. Maybe you're being challenged. All things work together for good. Maybe we are being now uh, stretched. All things are working together for good. This specific situation here of the enemy coming and opposing worked out for the good and not for the evil. And that's amazing. I think that we have to take that sometimes into consideration. Sometimes the opposition that we're facing, God will turn it around to use it for good. In Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1, what does it say? It's a powerful illustration of what's taking place right here in the life of King Cyrus. A man that was an unbeliever, but God was using him to rebuild the temple. In Roberts 21, verse 1, it says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And like rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. God was turning the heart of King Cyrus to be able to serve his purpose. God was turning the, the, the challenges of the world and the opposition and the discouragement to serve as a way for him to further his work. What is, it, what is this telling us? That no setback, no failure, and no disappointment, no defeat, there is none of that that God cannot use to bless you with. There's no setback in your life, no failure, no disappointment. That There is no disappointment, no defeat that God cannot use to bless you with. This opposition, God used it instead of for stopping the work. He used it to bless the work and to further the work. And he taught us that it's always a good opportunity to move forward and to step out. And it says here now, therefore, verse 6, to Tenai, governor of the region beyond the river of Shethar, Bosnai, and your companions, the Persians who are beyond the river, 
Keep yourselves far from there. He tells them, the enemies, those Persians that are willing to, that wanted to stop the work, he tells them, stand down, keep yourself far from them. Why? Because when you're obeying what God called you to do, he's going to defend you. And he's defending them now. This is amazing that he's defending them. He's telling them one thing, don't disturb them. Don't hinder the work and get out of the way. Oh, that, isn't that amazing that God, that's what he does? That when you're obeying him, even though you face opposition and the Lord has to step in for you, he makes a way where there's no way. And he says, stop disturbing the work. Don't hinder the work and get out of the way, Persians, because they're called to build. In fact, Cyrus is going to give them the money and the resources to build. Let the work alone of the house of God and let them build and stay away. Let the work continue. Verse 7. Let the work of this house of God alone. Can, can we not read that and underline that in our Bibles? Let the work of the house of God alone. Let them continue. Don't stand in the way of what God wants to do. I mean, I think sometimes in our jealousy, these persons were jealous. They were power hungry. They were seeking for now a, a, a self-serving motive, a hidden agenda, and they stood in the way of what God wanted to do. I never, and we should never want to stand in the way of what God wants to do. And that's what we have to ask Him, Lord, despite my doubt, despite my fear, despite my insecurity, despite the hard work, Lord, do the work in spite of all of that, because we want to see the work continue. And it says here now in verse 8, Moreover, I issue here a decree. Now He's going to issue His own decree. And look what the decree is. The decree is where God guides, God provides. It's a very assuring it's a very encouraging decree that where God is behind it, He's going to fund it. And He says, do not interrupt the work. I issue a decree as to what you shall do for the elders of the Jews, for the building of the house of God. Let the cost be paid at the king's expense from taxes on the region beyond the river. This is to be given immediately to these men so that they are not hindered. I love this. He said, you want the house of, you know, you know, you want the house to stop? In fact, the house to stop, the God is not going to stop. In fact, it's going to move forward. And I want you to get from the money of the treasuries. I want you to get from the taxes and give to them. And look what it says. Give it to them. And I, and I love that word because we recently visited that word. I want you to give it to them immediately. And I want the work of God to move forward so that the work of God is not hindered. That's amazing here. Because it teaches us, that word immediately teaches us not to delay. How many times have we wanted to delay and the work of God is delayed? How many times did we want to delay and the work of God is interrupted? The work of God is at a standstill. The work of God was at a standstill. And he's saying, get, a, get away from them. Let the work of God continue. Don't delay. Give them financial immediate help so that the work of God is not hindered. So the work of God is not interrupted. I love what it says in the New Living Translation. Moreover, I hereby decree you are to help them. Instead of standing in the way, help the people, the elders of the Jews. They are building right now. Help them build this temple of God. You must pay for the full construction cost without delay. I love what it does because it teaches us and it challenges us to move forward. Even in our giving, it says, from the taxes collected in the province west of the Euphrates River, so that they will work, will not, so that the work will not be interrupted. I love that. So that the work 
will not be delayed, so that the work will not be interrupted. And now, verse 9, whatever they need, whatever they need, make yourself available. Young bulls, rams, lambs, and burnt offerings the God, uh, of the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, oil, according to the request of the priest who are in Jerusalem, according to the request of the priests who are in Jerusalem, let it be given to them day and night without fail. If there is a request, then meet that request day and night and do not fail. This is important. That without fail, that they would give them as much as they need. That they would not stand in the way. And that they may offer, verse 10, sacrifices of sweet aroma, or that they may pray to the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons. Now, what is he doing here, the king? Now, he has some kind of self-interest or motivation on why he wants them to build the temple. He wants them to build a temple. He's going to fund it completely. But because he wants them to pray for him and his sons, and he really, what he's doing, he's trying to appease now the Jews because he doesn't want them to challenge his reign. And he says, I want to let them worship their God, offer sacrifices for the king. And he's asking for their prayer now. In verse 11, it says, Also I issue a decree that whoever alters this edict, let the timber be pulled from his house and be erected. You see, this is interesting here because what is he saying? He's promoting the house of God. And he says, if you are standing in the way of building the house of God, then I'm going to grab the foundation of your house and I'm going to pull the foundation of your house out. This is what the king is saying here. Let it be pulled from his house. You don't want to take care of my house? You don't want, the, you know, the king is saying, you don't want to take care of the house of the Lord now? Let the, now the foundation or the timber be pulled from the house of themselves, be erected and let him be hanged on it. It's going to hurt you. And let the house be made a refuse of, of heap because of this and burn their house down. Take the foundation, that beam foundation of their own house, hang them on it and burn their entire house because they're altering or they're standing in the way of somebody building the house of God. And may the God who causes His name to dwell there destroy any king or people who put their hand to alter it or to destroy this house of God which is in Jerusalem. I, Darius, issue a decree let it be done. Look at, let it be done. Let it be done. And I want you to underline this and remember this. Let it be done diligently. You know what diligently means? Let it be done faithfully. We want our work to be done diligently. To trust God, to believe in Him, to be reconciled to what He's called us to do. To not violate the commands that He has given us when it was time to build. And I love this. Because during Ezra and Nehemiah, we're learning one thing. In Ezra, they're rebuilding the temple. In Nehemiah, they're rebuilding the walls. What is this entire, now Ezra and Nehemiah book teaching us? It's teaching us to put our hands to the plow. And to never use the excuse that it is not God's timing. As in Haggai had told them of this particular time. To not build the house of God. It is time to build this house. What are you doing? He's saying, your house looks so nice. You're interested in your house, but what about the house of God? And then look what it goes on, and it says then to Tenai, the governor of the region behind the river, Shester Banzai and their companions diligently or faithfully did according to what King Darius had sent. So the elders of the Jews built. They built and they prospered through the prophesying of, look at, through the prophesying of Haggai, the prophet here in Zechariah. What was their prophecy? Their prophecy was 
get to work and finish the work that was started. Get encouraged and finish the work that was started. And that's what these prophets arose to do, to tell them, get to work. And it says here, and they built and finished it. Not only did they build, but they also finished it. That's what I love about it. How, how, I mean, when, when someone starts to build from the beginning, they understand that there's a cost. They understand that there's, a, a, there's work. They understand that there's sacrifice. But we know that the most costly, most sacrificial, and most uh, now extraneous work that we're called to do will result in the most fruitful results. And that's what they're doing. They're working hard. They're facing opposition. But they're also finishing what God called them to do. According to the commandment of God of Israel. And according to the commandment of Cyrus, Darius, and Xerxes, king of Persia. You see, when God wanted something to do, He moved in the hearts of man. And He also moved in the heart of the unbelieving man. So that it would now be done what God called them to do. And it says here, now the temple was finished. I love what the words that we were, being, were reading today. It says it was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, which is the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. Then the children of Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the rest of the descendants of captivity, they celebrated. You know why God wanted to institute the now temple? Because He, they, he wanted them to have a place where they can celebrate. Because they wanted them to understand that they can have joy in His presence. Because he wanted, the Lord wanted them to know what it was like to worship at the house of God again. They celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. Can we celebrate with joy the dedication of the house of God? You know what brings joy? Holiness brings joy. And when they decided to restore and rebuild, and you see revival come place, it's because of the holiness that was taking place here that was producing this joy. Holiness always produces joy with great joy. The people were doing this. And it says, And they offered sacrifices at the dedication of this house of God. They started to dedicate the house of God, and they built it, and they finished it. 100 bulls of 200 rams, 400 rams as the sin offering for all Israel, 12 male goats according to the number of the tribes of Israel. This is the offering that they're giving, that they're offering to the Lord now. And they assigned, or they ordained now leaders, assigned the priests to their divisions, and the Levites to their divisions over the service of God in Jerusalem, as it is written in the book of Moses. What did they start to do? They started to make leaders out of people there. You know, and then we read here on in verse 8, 19. And the descendants of the captivity kept the Passover. What was the Passover? They were celebrating redemption. They were celebrating that they were bought with a price. They were celebrating the Lamb of God. Why were they celebrating this? Because God causes whoever keeps His word to prosper in whatever they do. And they get to celebrate. What do they do? They prospered. They finished the work of God because they, they were obeying the word of God. You want to finish the work of God? Then obey the word of God. Lord, I want to finish the work of God. Well, then the Lord says, then obey the word of God. I want to finish the work, then obey the word. You obey the word, you'll finish the work and celebrate the Passover, the joy that you have in knowing that you're redeemed. Anytime you want some joy, look to the cross. Because there you find joy. There you find that your insecurities end. There you find that the attacks and the opposition it can't win, can't overcome you. It cannot defeat you. You see, when we carry the cross of God, you know what we're carrying? We're carrying victory. 
We're not carrying defeat. I was talking to a leader today at work, and he was telling me, man, when you look at that young gal, I mean, she just looks, she has the face of defeat. <laughs> She's walking around defeated. And you think about it, when we walk around defeated, it's because we haven't visited the cross. We need to visit the cross because there is the foundation of where we build from. The cross and the Word of God. And what did they start to do here? As they were celebrating verse 19, you know what they were celebrating? Verse 19, they were celebrating that they were covered by the blood of the Lamb. Can we celebrate that we're covered by the blood of the Lamb? That we are free and that we're forgiven, that we are redeemed? That, that yes, the world had us in our sin, because Jesus, but Jesus, when He died on the cross for us, we are now free from that life of the world of sin and of bondage. And they start to celebrate now that they are no longer slaves of sin. They're no longer slaves to the consequences of sin. It says, And the descendants of captivity kept the Passover on the 14th day of the first month. For the priests and the Levites had to purify themselves, all of them, and they were ritually clean. What did they go do? They went to now purify themselves, and they were clean. It says, And they slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the descendants of the captivity, for their brethren, the priests, and for themselves. They started to celebrate this and make a way, an occasion now, to be able to celebrate now the Passover. Isn't this amazing here? That they dedicated the house of God. They made a big celebration just for the house of God. And then they, they made an occasion. They took the, made the best use of time. And they celebrated the Passover. The children of Israel who had returned from captivity ate together with, with all those who had separated themselves from the filth of the nation of the land in order to seek the Lord of God of Israel. That's an amazing verse, number 21. What did they do? They celebrated with who? Who do they fellowship with? Who do they celebrate with? Who do they now eat with? In verse 21, it says who they did it with. And it tells us the children of Israel return from captivity. You are returning from captivity. As we come to church, we are returning from captivity. As we come to the Lord, we're returning from captivity. The world was captivity. And they're eating together with those who had separated themselves from the filth of the nations of the land in order to seek the Lord. You know, if you want to seek the Lord, what you have to do? Separate yourself from the filth of the nations that are around. See, you can't seek the Lord when you're living in the filth. You have to separate yourself from the filth so that you can seek the Lord properly. And that, that's what it's, that verse 21 tells us the order so beautifully because it says in verse 21, those who had separated themselves from the filth of these nations of the land, why they do it? In order to seek the Lord God of Israel. They, they turn from the corrupt practices. They turn from the corruption in order to seek the Lord. And they celebrated with great joy now. And they kept the feast of the Passover uh, says, of the unleavened bread seven days with, again here, with joy. That's exactly why when we celebrate anything that God is doing in our church, in our lives, let's celebrate it with joy. Oh, you know what? We're having a three-year anniversary. Big deal. Let's celebrate it with joy. Because God is doing an amazing thing. We're just getting started. That means that this should evoke and provoke now in your life excitement. Where you want to talk about this. Because we're going to use this opportunity to celebrate the Passover or to celebrate redemption, to celebrate freedom, to celebrate God's faithfulness. And we're going to make the best use of this time. Can we make the best use of every time? And that's what they were doing here. And, the, and they kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy. 
And the Lord made them joyful. And he turned, look at, he turned the heart of the king of Assyria toward them. Can we ask the Lord, Lord, turn my heart if I need, Lord, you to turn my heart. Lord, turn the heart of those people that maybe don't want us to serve. Lord, turn the heart of maybe a, a, a spouse, a husband or a wife. Turn their heart so that we can pursue what God has called us to pursue. Turn the heart of whoever it is, Lord, that you need to turn the heart. And you know why the Lord started turning hearts? What did He do in chapter 4? He stirred the hearts of King, Cyrus, of King Darius. He stirred the heart of King Darius. And then He turned the heart of King Cyrus. That's amazing. Lord, we, don't want you, we want you to stir our hearts and we want you to turn the hairs <laughs> because we want to move into action. Lord, stir my heart and if you have to turn theirs, then turn their heart because we want to, Lord, for you to open up the doors of blessing and of obedience so we can step right into it. We don't want to delay the, the building of the house of God. And it says here, toward them to strengthen their hands in the work. You know why we need a turning of heart? You know why we need a stirring of heart? We need the stirring of heart and the turning of hearts so that we can strengthen our hands in the work that God's called us to do. Maybe our hands are, are growing weak, our feeble hands. Maybe, maybe we're getting discouraged. You know, I love what it says in, in Galatians. That if you will reap and you will not lose heart, those that do not lose heart. You want to reap? Then it's, the reaping's going to come to those that do not that do not lose heart. And it said, And he turned the heart of the king of Assyria toward them to strengthen their hands in the work of the house of God of Israel. We're going to pray that God would strengthen the work of the hands that are taking place even here today. Because God wants us to build. But you know what we need to build? But what kind of encouragement we need? We need the encouragement of the word of God and we need encouragement of the Holy Spirit. We need the encouragement of those two things. From chapters 1 to chapter 6, it was all about rebuilding. In chapter 7 to chapter 10, it's all about spiritual revival. See, the spiritual revival didn't even happen until they first moved into action. Sometimes we want to have spiritual revival, and we haven't moved into action. God provides a spiritual revival when we move into action. They moved into action, and now from chapter 7 to 10, you see a spiritual revival take place. And now it, let's read just the first six verses of chapter 7 today. And then we'll finish them later on. We're going to read the first six verses. Because it says, now after these things, in the reign of Arxerxes. So first we left off. In the, first we had the King Darius, his heart was stirred. Then we had King Cyrus, his heart was turned. Now we have King Arxerxes. And during this time we're going to see a spiritual revival take place. And Ezra shows up on the scene. I want you to remember today that, that Ezra means helper. And we know this and we want to know this because what is Ezra a type of as a helper? Ezra is a type of what is called the helper in the Bible. The Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit do? What does the Holy Spirit do? You know what the Holy Spirit does? It teaches you the Word of God. The Holy Spirit comes and ushers in the Word of God into your heart. And to your life, it moves and stirs the heart and the word of God in your heart and man's heart. That's why the Holy Spirit is needed when the word of God is taught. Because the Holy Spirit combined with the word of God is unstoppable because it anoints the word of God to speak to you. Ezra comes to deliver the word of God as the Holy Spirit would come as the helper to us. 
In fact, in John 16, verse 13, it says here, however, He, Jesus saying this to a disciple, when the Spirit of truth has come, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak to you on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak to you, and He will tell you the things that come. The Holy Spirit, the Comforter, is another word for parakletos in the Greek. Para means alongside. Kletos means helper. He's going to come alongside of you to help you. That's what I love about the Holy Spirit. That no one can replace the Holy Spirit. No one's wisdom. No one's experience. No one's education. No one's authority. No one's title will ever be able to replace or do the work that the Holy Spirit does. You know when... When, during this time when they were going to rebuild the temple and the walls, and Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel was the governor of Jerusalem. And Zerubbabel tell, told, now the Lord gave him every excuse on why he shouldn't build. And Zerubbabel said, no, I can't do it. We're weak. We're small. We're the least and we're the weakest. We can't build. The Persian Empire is attacking us. We can't build. And you know what the Lord said? In, in, in Zach, he spoke through Zechariah the prophet to Zerubbabel. And he told Zerubbabel, it's not going to be by your might. And it's not going to be by, by, pow by power. It's going to be by my spirit. And you know why sometimes we get trained out in ministry, in life? It's because we're doing it in our own strength. And we're not doing it by the power and the spirit of God. And Zerubbabel needed to be reminded, it's not by your strength. It's not by your power. It's by my spirit, says the Lord. And that's why when we're empty and we're leading on empty, we have to ask the Lord, Lord, Maybe right now I'm leading on my own strength. I need to be not only filled, but I need to be refilled by your spirit. How many times have we tried to serve the Lord in our own strength? Yes, we're rebuilding. But now in chapter 7, in the middle of this book, guess what happens? They are coming here to be refilled by the word of God through the helper type Ezra as he shows up on the scene. See, so you know today, Ezra, his name here, after this time, from chapter 6 to chapter 7, there's a 60-year gap between these reigns. And we've been talking a lot about revival and how brokenness is the gateway to revival. I, I don't know how many times I've said that. Brokenness is the gateway to revival. The second part of that statement, brokenness is the gateway to revival, is the first part. The second part is, but the Holy Spirit and the Word of God will maintain it. See, brokenness will start revival, but the Holy Spirit and the Word of God will maintain revival. You want to be able to upkeep and maintain revival? It's going to happen. It's going to start with brokenness, but it's going to be maintained by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. See, we need the Holy Spirit to reveal to us His Word. That when we go to the Word of God, we open it. We, the Lord is speaking to us. It's, it's always a bad idea. And I'll tell you this, it is always a bad idea to open up your Bible and just start reading. Stop for a moment. Ask the Spirit of God to reveal yourself. Don't treat it as a chore. It's a devotional life. That means that you're devoted to this. That means when you open the Word of God, God's about to speak to you to say, Spirit of God, reveal yourself to me because I don't want to walk away from this time with nothing. I don't want to walk away empty. I want to walk away full. I need anointing right now so that I can hear from you and that I can know you through your Word. You see, you want to change the world? Ezra changed the world. He, he changed Jerusalem, Ezra. He started something, a Jesus people movement of his day. 
And you know how he started that? Change the world by studying the word. Nine times in Ezra chapter 7, you see that he was studying the word of God. Why? Because Ezra, the helper, type of the Holy Spirit, what does the Holy Spirit do? Holy Spirit does three things right here what we see in chapter 7. The Holy Spirit communicates the hand of God through his word. Number one, the Holy Spirit communicates the heart of God through his word. And the Holy Spirit communicates the way of God through his word. What does the Holy Spirit do? It communicates the hand of God, the heart of God, and the way of God through his word. And, and this is what we need. We need an understanding of God's word. And in order for God to raise up a man here, an individual, he needed to raise someone up that loved his word. He needed to raise somebody up that loved his word. God wants to raise you up right here, but how much do you love his word? He's not going to raise someone up that doesn't love his word. He needs to raise the people that love the word of God and they want to be ushered in by the Holy Spirit and said, it's not going to be by my power. It's not going to be by my might. It's not going to be by my cleverness. It's going to be because I'm filled and refilled by the Spirit and the Helper. We need the Helper. And it says here now, verse 7. Let's read here very quickly the, the first here, six verses in regards to what God has for us here. Because it says here now, after these things, 60 years later, in the reign of Xerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Zariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalom, the son of Zadok, the son of Ahitab, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Maratha, the son of Zerorah, the son of Uzai, the son of Bukai, the son of Bishua, the son of Phineas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Arian, the son of Aaron, the chief priests. For five verses, we start to see the heritage of Ezra. And this is amazing because it goes all the way to who? Aaron, the chief priests. Who is Aaron, the chief priest? You look back and you read through Exodus and you read through Deuteronomy, you find out who Aaron, the chief priest was. What did God promise now to the nation of Israel back then? The Aaron, the, the, Aaron, the people, the lineage, the nation of Israel would be able to make it to Jerusalem. And it's amazing here because in the first five verses, we learn about the heritage of Ezra. We learn about his genealogy. And, and you, when you study heritage, it tells you more about God than it tells you about you. <laughs> because it speaks to you about the faithfulness of God. You can look, up, look back and say, God, you're so faithful that throughout this entire time, throughout this entire generation after generation after generation, you still were faithful. And Ezra here comes on the scene but from the same family that you said that would be used in the promised land. What does heritage tell you? It tells you that God is faithful, number one. What does your heritage tell you? That God, number two, keeps His promises. God always keeps His promises. And it says here, Ezra. Who is Ezra? He came, this Ezra came from Babylon. He went into now J Jerusalem. And he was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses. I want you to underline and circle, skilled that means that he knew the Word of God. He was skilled in the Word of God. A scribe is not only a student of the Word of God, but a scribe is also a teacher of the Word of God. And that's for everyone of us here. Don't think that just one person is a scribe. You're called to be a student, but you're also called to teach. He was skilled. He was well-versed in now the Word of God. You know, scribes were so important at that day because they were influential. You know what scribes did? They had three main duties. 
And this is the duty that you have because you're a student of God's Word. Three main duties and three main responsibilities that you have here. To preserve the Word of God, number one. To preserve the Word of God, number one. Number two, to teach the Word of God. And number three, to administrate the Word of God as a student of God's Word. We need to teach it, preserve it, and administer the Word of God. Here was a man of God who was not only a man of God, he was a man of the Word of God. And because of that, God showed him favor. God's hand was on him. He was skilled. That word skill also literally means rapid. It means someone that, that just understands, that can move swiftly, that has movement even through the complexity of that which he's studying. That's what skilled means. It's suggesting a, a quickness, a, a grasp, an ease of movement through the Word of God. That he read it, he understand that complex material because it was the fruit of a devoted life in studying the Bible. It was the fruit of a devoted life studying the Bible. And he was skilled because he had the natural aptitude and he practiced it. And the Lord blessed here Ezra with this ability to understand the Word of God. But then Ezra did his part by doing the rest. See, God has blessed you with the gift. Can, have you done your part and the God-given ability that God has given you? You see, he did his part in the sense of interpreting it and applying it. Because in verse 6, it said this, And this Ezra came from Babylon. He was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. And the king granted him all his requests according to the hand of God, hand of the Lord is God upon him. What did the king do? The king did one thing. The king now granted Ezra all the requests because the hand of the Lord God was upon him. You know why the hand of God was upon him? Because the word of God was inside him. The hand of God was upon him because the word of God was inside him. And if we want the hand of God upon us, we need the word of God inside us. And we need the helper alongside of us. Can we ask the Lord today, Lord, we no longer want to do ministry in our strength. We need the Ezra. <laughs> we need the helper. We don't want to fatigued, be fatigued. We don't want to now be wearisome. We don't want to stop in the work. We need the Holy Spirit to let us be skilled in the Word of God. Maybe today you need to go back home and say, Lord, I need the Ezra to come. I need the helper. I need that which ushers the Word of God in to speak to me. Because it's only through the Holy Spirit that God will speak to you. Nothing else. No clever message. No clever commentary. No clever pastor or teacher or name or church. It's the Holy Spirit that we need to teach us. And here Ezra shows up to teach them the Word of God because he was skilled in it. The Word of God was in him and the hand of God was upon him. And because of that, the king was able to give him all his requests. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, God. We thank you for your word, Lord. Lord, ministry can become a routine. Ministry can become mundane. It can become cumbersome, Lord. Lord, life itself. The enemy can steal our joy. But Lord, I pray that you give us a joy that's contagious, that we would celebrate the joy the love, the faithfulness, God. And that we would be like an Ezra, Lord, that you would send your spirit, Lord, that the word of God would be in us 
so that your hand would be upon us. We don't want to do it in our own strength. We tried it many times and we failed. We've tried succeeding. We've tried prospering, Lord. We've tried making it happen with our clever ideas, God. Reasoning, Lord, under human understanding. And it never works out. What we need today is your spirit. I pray, Lord, that we would maybe even take our hands off of whatever it is we're trying to fix and let your spirit do it. I pray, Lord, that we would give room for your spirit to speak. And that we would love your word, God. We want to love your word. Lord, we can't have your word without your spirit. And we can't have your spirit without your word. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the healthy, devotional life that we need through your spirit. In Jesus' name. And together we said, Amen. Amen.